This is the Scott Thompson Show podcast. Wow. Wow. What a last 24 hours this has been. Oh, my goodness. So, uh, President Trump, how's that sound? How does that feel? Um, you know, uh, I watched this last night, and we were sitting around the dinner table, and, you know, I, uh, this has been impossible to predict. And I've said this with our experts all yesterday. And I think what amazed me in all of this was um, my, we're sitting around the dinner table, and my nine-year-old son says to me, I don't know, it's between 6 and 7 o'clock last night, he goes, Dad, who do you think is going to win? And I stopped, and I paused. And I paused for a longer time. And then I said, I think Donald Trump's going to win. And everybody at the table kind of went, what? Do you seriously think that? And I said, yeah, I do. I said, I know it's unexpected. But I said, I won't be surprised. And they said, why? And I said, well, I've spent the last however many weeks and months and whatever talking to experts. uh, Most of them a a bit to the left. (laughs) And you know what? I do agree the media in the United States and, you know, I I don't know if you can say it in Canada, um, but is is quite a bit to the left. And I noticed that just by watching the results come in, uh, CTV News had more accurate results than what CNN did. They were they were taking an awfully long time to, uh, uh, I guess, uh, report the obvious. So, yeah, that is there. But, you know, as, I, as I'm explaining this to my son yesterday, I said, I've been listening to all these experts, and everybody says the same thing. They don't know how this got to where it was. Uh, they cannot explain it, yet they insisted that Hillary would win. And it, to me, it just seemed odd. It's like, well, you know, as soon as he does this, he's out. Well, he did it, and he's still in. Oh, as soon as he does it, he's out. Oh, my goodness, he said that. He's out. There's no way. Oh, he survived. Oh, look, there's the video, the recording, the grove. Oh, he's, he's out now. No, he's, he's still in. I don't know how all of a sudden they could think the election would be any different. And it was at that point I realized that this would not surprise me. I didn't think it would happen. I didn't expect it. But I'm not surprised. And as I said in my blog and commentary, this has less to do with Donald and his plan and making America great again. This is a good old-fashioned protest vote, like we saw with Brexit. Like when Ontario voted in the NDP. It's a pure protest vote. And what I've learned out of this, all of this, is, is you never underestimate the strength of the silent protest vote. And what this signals is, remember when Cruz was standing up in the, in the reading uh, uh, green eggs and ham and a big filibuster? Like this has been going on all through Barack Obama's presidency. It, it's literally gridlocked. And Americans are pissed. They had enough. And it didn't matter if it was Donald, this, that, or the other. This guy represented anti-establishment. And no matter, even though he insulted pretty much every segment of the population over the course of his campaign, and you can't deny that he didn't, um, people were still willing to throw a stick into the spokes to send a very clear message to Washington that they're pissed, that they're disenfranchised, that they're feeling neglected, that they feel no one is looking after them. And they spoke last night. 
loud and clear. And this sends a very, very, very loud message to all politicians in North America that you can't take your voters, your electorate, for granted. And I think that's what's been happening. And people just in the United States, and they're feeling this in Canada, that they're disenfranchised. They can't get ahead. Nobody's listening to them. And you can stand up today and say all you want about Donald Trump and his character and all that sort of stuff, and you'd probably be right. But you can't deny what has happened. And what has happened is the people are saying, I don't care how big of a you-know-what this guy is, I'm going to blow this place up. And that's what they did. That's what they're doing. And that's exactly what happened with Brexit. The unfortunate thing was with Brexit was there really wasn't a plan B if it happened. Here's hoping there is for America. Here's hoping that somehow they can work together now. But this is a simple, pure protest vote. No different than Brexit. No different than Ontarians voting in the NDP way back when to blow out the Peterson Liberals because they thought they were being too cocky. It's a pure and a simple protest vote. And you can say it's uneducated. You can say it's this. You can say it's that. It's nobody's fault but the political systems. Because they have ignored these people. And these people finally spoke. And Donald Trump held the lead pretty much the whole night. He, he, you know, and, and that's the way it's been, right? The way across the election, the, the campaign. He's the one pulling out thousands of people. Not Hillary. And again, doesn't matter about the emails, doesn't matter about uh, uh, the sexual comments and all. It doesn't matter about that. They don't care. All they know is this guy ain't them. This guy's new. This guy's going to go in there and he's going to kick some ass. That's how they feel. Whether they're right or wrong, we don't know yet. History will, you know, time will tell. But this is simply anybody but them. It's like the old, uh, back in the city council days, anybody but the incumbent. That's what this is. Anybody but the establishment. I don't care if it's a rich guy who offends everybody. I'm putting them in just to show these people a lesson. We the people can't be kicked around. We the people are being ignored. Unbelievable day. You're listening to The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on AM 900 CHML. Let's bring in Michael uh, Trogott. He is a professor emeritus of communication studies and political science, uh, authority on communication, public opinion, opinion and media polling, University of Michigan, and he is with us now. Hello, Michael. How are you today? Pretty good. And you, Scott? Good. Thank you for taking the time to join us. How is America feeling today? Well, uh, I would say that... Uh, a large portion of Americans are stunned by the outcome uh, because it was unexpected with all of the polling in the last several days that suggested that uh, Hillary Clinton had uh, a small but firm lead, not only nationally but in uh, many uh, state polls as well. Even though she squeaked by in the popular vote, <coughs> she was uh, beaten uh, relatively convincingly in terms of the Electoral College votes. Uh, do, do politicians or are politicians underestimating how disenfranchised voters are? Well, I think that there's a possibility at the national level that that is true, that, you know, something that something showed up in the presidential campaign 
that might not have shown up in you know certain state level campaigns where uh, there's a significant group of Americans, uh, mostly white, who are concerned about a lack of attention and perhaps a lack of respect, uh, and they don't see government doing very much for them, and so they supported Donald Trump as an outsider who they hope can get things done. Uh, people were talking of his uh, actions, his his uh, reputation, uh, pretty much insulting every segment of the population uh, over the last uh, several weeks. Um, how does someone like that end up getting in if this is anything, is this anything less than a protest vote? I mean, people were willing, no matter how bad everyone else perceived the candidate to be, to send a message to Washington that we're not happy and we don't care how bad this guy is, we're going to throw a stick into the spokes of all of this. Well, uh, I think uh, describing it or characterizing it as a protest vote is appropriate. Um, And even though many of his supporters are concerned about his personality and his temperament. They felt that the need for change outweighed those concerns that they have, mm-hmm. and therefore they supported him at the ballot box. Do you see similarities in the Brexit vote here? Well, uh, I can't tell exactly, although there's a lot of parts of it that look alike. Um, and it's not just in the polling misestimation but it is the narrative in the media that followed what the polls showed mm-hmm. and suggested that, uh, you know, it was a done deal for Hillary Clinton, just as it was a, a done deal and a narrow uh, vi- uh, victory for uh, rema- remaining in the EU. So uh, it, it does look alike in that regard. I think in the Brexit vote there were uh, very substantial uh, overtones of anti-immigration, anti-immigrant sentiment, uh, especially among uh, white uh, 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 British citizens. And uh, it's pretty clear that the, the, a similar cleavage has appeared in the American electorate between whites and minorities. Uh, what should politicians of all stripes take from this win? Well, um, on the winning side, uh, they ought to understand that uh, the voters, their supporters, are expecting action. And they want uh, some things done, especially about the economy and about uh, growing jobs at home and trying to make better paying jobs uh, for workers in America. For the people on the losing side, I think they need to be paying more attention to um, also to, to workers and a general reconsideration of what globalization and trade agreements mean for the average worker. They may improve uh, profits at the corporate level if you're in the right industries, but uh, wages of individual workers are not uh, keeping pace. There's been stagnation. Mm-hmm. wages. And so this is a very important structural issue that uh, both Democrats and Republicans will have to deal with. Why did uh, Hillary wait uh, till today to do her uh, concession speech? Um, 
I think that they were organized for uh, a big win last night in mm-hmm. a very fancy surrounding, and uh, she certainly didn't expect to lose. I think the shock of the votes coming in and the electoral votes uh, piling up uh, probably was too much for her emotionally, and um, she she needed... Uh, some time to compose herself for the speech that she gave this morning. Hmm. Uh, the presidency, the Senate, the House, what does this mean for the Republicans? Uh, will this, uh, will this uh, government have an easier road than, say, Barack Obama in trying to get some things through? Um, in theory, they should, but in practice, it's not clear that they will. The Republican Party is not divided I mean, is not united behind uh, Donald Trump. We'll have to see whether or not they can coalesce in what form. How can they not be united behind him now? Wouldn't, w- <laughs> I'm sure there's a lot of people looking left and right at this point. Well, they have substantially different. Uh, they have substantially different views. For example, about uh, trade. Um, I'm not sure there's much difference with regard to uh, immigration policy. The Republicans weren't able to do anything about immigration reform, especially as the presidential campaign, uh, you know, began. And uh, there's a conflict between uh, an interest in substantial infrastructure uh, projects in order to get more Americans to work and a concern about reducing taxes. Somebody would have to pay for these, you know, infrastructure projects somehow. So, you know, these will be the conflicts within the party in the Congress. Uh, as we move forward, and he moves forward with his presidency, a, a lot of people disenfranchised with the gridlock and just general um, sandbox play uh, in Washington. Will this shake up the Washington elite? How does this change the game? Well, I think that that remains to be seen. Um, I was part of a project with uh, Gallup last summer looking at why confidence in Congress had uh, declined to such an extent. And there's a general belief in the American uh, public that members of Congress, both parties, are uh, more interested and responsive to uh, the views of lobbyists and special interests than they are to their constituents. And that also lies at the heart of this uh, lack of confidence in the institution. So they'll have to demonstrate that they understood or could interpret a meaning associated with this election and begin to produce policies that their constituents think will benefit them. How will the world view this? I I understand that Putin was one of the first ones to offer congratulations. Yes, I think that the world is very concerned about this because of statements uh, Donald Trump made during the campaign about uh, various commitments the United States has made in the past and whether they need to be honored or renegotiated or, or, or scrapped and then, you know, started again from uh, uh, scratch. And um, I think that they're, they're waiting to see uh, how he forms his administration, which people he appoints to key uh, 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 in- institutions like State Department or the Defense Department um, before they make a judgment. 
Michael Trogon has been with us, Professor Emeritus of Communication Studies and Political Science Authority on Communications, Public Opinion and Media Polling. How do you explain the polls for this one, Michael, being so wrong? Uh, well, I don't, I, don't, uh, I don't know yet. I mean, there's a variety of explanations, although it will be very difficult to sort them out after the fact. Um, we don't know whether there were sampling issues uh, or there were likely voter model problems, uh, estimating who would go to the polls uh, and therefore adjusting the preference distribution you know, accordingly. Um, it's pretty clear that we had a, a kind of a wave election in the United States where uh, in, in relation to the polls, the uh, voting behavior was about maybe three percentage points or so more uh, Republican than they estimated. And uh, that kind of error uh, appeared not only in the national polls, but also in many state-level estimates as well. And that's the real question that has to be sorted out. Michael Trogott, University of Michigan. Michael, thank you for the time and expertise. Much appreciated. Good to chat, Scott. You're listening to The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on AM 900 CHML. Joining us now is Bob Bertina, Hamilton East Stony Creek Liberal MP. He is with us now. Hello, Bob. How are you today? I'm fine, Scott. Can you hear me okay on this phone? Yeah, it's absolutely perfect. Thank you for taking the time to join us. We appreciate this. So, Bob, how does this play out in Ottawa? What's the buzz around there today? We're actually going to be having a conference call a little bit later on, although the Prime Minister did release a statement earlier on. I don't know if you've yep. uh, read that statement. Yes, abso- yeah. yes absolutely. Uh, okay. so, so, what, so what is so, the feeling? Well, I, I wouldn't say the feeling so much, but I, I would. Uh, there's a couple of specifics, and one is carbon pricing, and the other one is pipelines. Hmm. And these are two huge things for uh, the Canadian government, and our uh, position is well known to everybody. And it looks like Donald Trump is going in a completely different direction, which, if they eliminate any notion of carbon pricing, will put us in a non-competitive position in uh, terms of what we're uh, attempting to do here in Canada. So, I mean, that's just off the top of my head after getting up this morning and finding out. So. You know, don't take that as gospel, but I would I would think that's the first thing. And then, of course, uh, the pipeline issue. And the other thing, of course, that we had uh, with our government was uh, truth and reconciliation with the First Nations. And I'm not sure I heard any discussion in the whole uh, uh, time, uh, especially from Trump, uh, with regard to First Nations uh, issues, which would mean demonstrations at pipeline sites, you know, and uh, it certainly is an issue in the United States, but I I didn't hear much of how Trump was going to deal with that. How do you explain this win? Nobody predicted this. Uh, Many didn't even think it would get this far. How do you explain this? Is this a pure protest vote? No, it's the same. Remember, I'm mad as hell, and I'm not going to take it anymore. Mm -hmm. (laughs) it's, It's sort of a... It comes from that. I think the pundits just completely confused themselves, uh, talking to each other, listening to each other. When I won here in Hamilton, East Stony Creek, the local newspaper wrote it as a shocking victory. And we weren't shocked. We, door-to-door every day, heard what people were saying, uh, knew the the history of the writing in terms of what had been before uh, the incumbent was in place. So we... 
just carried on, did our work, and won. And I think Trump was probably doing the same thing, saying, we we think we know we have a constituency, and we're going to play it, and the other people just missed it. Uh, do you think it's that simple, Bob, or do you think that no matter what this man is, no matter what he says, no matter who he insults, uh, Americans didn't care. What they wanted to do was send a message to Washington that they're disenfranchised, that they're tired of the gridlock, that they feel that they're being left out of all of this. So it doesn't matter how good, how bad, what he says, what he doesn't say. We're going to send this guy there just to throw a stick in the spokes. Uh, yeah. Can I mean, is there anything politicians can take away from that? Yeah, uh, I certainly, you know, I'm a kind of a non or anti-politician in a sense. I think part of the reason I was elected as mayor was people realized that I wasn't part of the old boys club and the old organization. And I took four years of agony because I didn't want to get in, join into that, that group. And I think Americans are starting to understand and maybe everybody around the world that the political system that's in place is not working on their behalf to the, in the best way it can. And that goes along with the media. Because the media has a lot to explain in terms of how they handle various things throughout this election. And there's going to be a lot of discussion about that. It was fascinating you should say that, Bob, because I'm watching the results come in last night. And probably around 11 o'clock, uh, Hillary was sitting at about a 209 electoral votes, Trump in the area of 240 or such. And it just seemed to stay there forever. And it, it, they came in fast and furious, I guess, as all the polls closed. But nobody wanted to get to the point of actually declaring a winner. And uh, it was finally at 2 o'clock in the morning. I think he was four short of, of the 270 that he needed, and I finally cashed out and fell asleep. But uh, you really can see the bias in the media, can't you? Well, I certainly could. Yeah. And I would, I'm eager to have um, more women in politics. I think a, a female president of the United States would be great. I actually had hoped and said so publicly that I would be uh, replaced uh, when I left office by uh, the first uh, female mayor of the city of Hamilton. And I even had some names in mind, which I'll tell you when I write my book. But, <laughs> but uh, I think it's important, but I don't think Hillary Clinton really was the... I, I'm not a big fan of the Clintons, let's just put it that way. Uh, it'll be interesting that we, if we can seem to move on and not keep our leaders within the same family, whether it's here in Canada or the United States. It'd be nice to get some fresh blood in there. Well, it's hard for me to say that when I'm looking at a picture. <laughs> <laughs> I realize that, Bob. Bob Bertina has been with us, Hamilton East Stony Creek Liberal MP. Bob, thank you for taking the time to join us. We greatly appreciate it. Thank you, Scott. You're listening to The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on AM 900 CHML. Nobody predicted this, uh, even though even though we've watched it happen for the last several weeks, several months, uh, ever since the nomination campaign uh, ran its course. Uh, every step of the way, people would comment and say, I can't believe he said that and got away with it. I can't believe he did that and got away with it. And uh, it was interesting as we came to the end of this campaign and voting yesterday, how people still thought, despite all of this, yet him surviving, that he wouldn't survive the final the final challenge. He wouldn't make the last step up the ladder. Uh, to talk more about all of this, Michael Tobe is with us, former speechwriter for Stephen Harper. He was with us yesterday. He is here now. Hello, Michael. How are you today? I'm good, Scott. How are you doing? I'm doing very well. Thank you for taking your time, uh, the time to join us today. I'm sure you're a busy guy. Uh, what, uh, <laughs> what is your thought of this? Did you expect it? Did you see it coming at all? 
The only thing I saw, and we discussed this yesterday, was that the race was tightening and that it would be a very close result. But no, I mean, I certainly did not see this. I recognized and discussed many times over the past 18 months the trend that was occurring, the success that Donald Trump was having in tapping into groups of people who were either frustrated with government, with business, with their jobs, and didn't see any hope. And this includes in states like you know, Michigan, Ohio, and Pennsylvania, all through the Rust Belt, which have been sort of shattered by, you know, the destruction of the auto industry and various other things. So they just feel very neglected. So I got all that, and I understood all that, and that's why the election was close. But no, I thought that really, in the end, ultimately, Americans would come close to picking someone like a Trump as a president because of that message, but would reject him based on his antics and behavior over the past 18 months. So, I, go so, ahead. so what does it say when after all of the antics over the last 18 months, people didn't seem to care about that at all? It, it seemed to me that they just wanted to send a message to Washington that they were disenfranchised. Yes, they wanted to send a very direct message to it. It's not just necessarily that they were disenfranchised. They were also sending a, a vote against people that they perceive to be elites. Mm -hmm. That includes the media. That includes pollsters. That includes Hillary Clinton, the candidate for the Democratic Party, and that also includes people like President Barack Obama. There was an enormous amount of frustration out there, Scott, and certainly some people saw it, but I don't think we ever connected how big the groundswell was. And the people who have the biggest eggs on their faces right now are the pollsters. Virtually every polling company was wrong, dead wrong, hmm. about how this election was going. Some of them were wrong by an enormous amount. I mean, if you look at some of the projected electoral colleges or just looked at the, the electoral map, some of these companies were just sort of sitting there saying, well, Clinton will get in the low 300s, the mid 300s, even as high as the high 300s, and it was all so preposterous. It just shows that, unfortunately, there are, quite sadly, in the United States and elsewhere in the world, a lot of people who are out of touch with the way certain communities think about things and what they feel is important to them, be it, as I said, you know, their day-to-day -day life, their high taxes, uh, the mortgage that they have to pay, things that they deal with with their family. We've lost a lot of sight and perspective on that, and that's where the elites have really failed. And unfortunately, I guess I have to include myself in that that list. Uh, clearly, uh, politicians. I don't think it's 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 uh, wrong to say politicians underestimate how disenfranchised voters are. Yep. Uh, not only there, but in in many centers across North America. How will this change things moving forward? How does this change politics moving forward? Yeah, you know, that's obviously the question many of us are going to be asking over the next few months and years, and a lot of it will depend on how well or how poorly Donald Trump fares when he becomes president early next year. Um, I think right now the way things will sort of happen is politi politics will change in the sense that ideologies will remain the same. Conservatism, liberalism, socialism, there may be some little uh, bits of give and take that have happened, which have happened over the history of humankind when it comes to political ideologies, and there will be some readjustments here and there, but those ideologies will remain in place. It's now the way that politicians and political parties go out and get the vote. They realize now that people expect and want different things from their politicians, from their political parties, and most importantly, from their leaders. 
So basically, they don't want to be talked as a number. They want to be talked to as a person. They want to hear the issues that matter to them, not the, ma- the issues that matter simply to political elites or the ones that they perceive to be political elites and just ignoring all the rest. In other words, politicians are going to basically have to start digging in the dirt and going down with the people and understanding what they want and what they need. And sure, sometimes you won't be able to see eye to eye. Sometimes the concerns that the people have will not be realistic to actually put forward in a government agenda, at least not the way they're presenting it. But if you completely ignore it and you just shove it off to the side and say that, well, you know what, they're just making talk, I really don't care what they have to say on it, I know best, that sort of attitude is dead. It Hmm. is dead and gone as of yesterday. And anybody who actually ever promotes it again, Scott, will be acknowledged immediately as a political failure. Hmm. Republicans now have the presidency, the Senate, the House. What does this mean? Will Trump have an easier road to hoe than Barack Obama? You see, a, a, a traditional politician, if you had been looking, say, at a Jeb Bush or a Marco Rubio or a John Kasich or a Ted Cruz, would say that, oh, my Lord, I have everything. I have both, both houses. Mm-hmm. The governors are all on side. It'll be remarkably easy for me to get a good, small-c conservative agenda through. I'm not saying that Donald Trump is necessarily going to have enormous amounts of trouble, but the difference is, and you and I have talked about it, and I've certainly talked about it with many other people, Donald Trump is not a conservative. Donald mm-hmm. Trump is not even what we would call a Republican in the traditional or modern sense of the word. Donald Trump is not an ideologue. Basically, this is a man who sort of lives with his gut. He sees ideas, he sees issues, he looks at trends, and he also looks as well on social media, as we know he's on Twitter quite often, and tries to see what the common man is interested in. So the forgotten people, or the forgotten men, as he calls it, are the people that are most important to them. What are the people talking about? What's important to them? Those are the policies that he will likely push through. Will that work well with a Republican-dominated political system as of right now? It's a good question. He and Paul Ryan, the House Speaker, had a conversation late last night. Apparently it went for about close to 20 minutes. And I think that maybe, to begin with, they've ironed things out a little bit. I think they both realize that even if they don't like one another, even if they don't always see eye to eye, they need each other to ensure that good policies for the United States go through and I'm hopeful, you know, is certainly based on his victory speech, which, yes, was written for him, but at the same time hit all the right notes in terms of working with others, being conciliatory, etc., that maybe now that all these things are finished and the dust, when the dust settles in a few weeks, maybe Donald Trump is actually going to be emboldened by the position he now has, humbled by the honor that he's been given, and actually try to work to, and I know this is stunning, improve the United States Hmm. rather than destroy it. There must be still some tremendously open wounds within that party. I mean, there's there's a lot of two faces walking around right now. How does he deal with that? Well, you know, the interesting thing is that the implosion that I talked about for the grand old party, the Republican Party, uh, probably will not happen at the same rate. I think, if anything, the Democratic Party is now going to have to revisit a lot of things and see what's the next steps for them. But yeah, right now, obviously, there are many different people and many different groups within the Republican Party that are sort of raising their hands to President-elect Trump, saying, listen to me, listen to me, I've got the right idea. That's going to be very difficult to sort out. 
Now, look, theoretically, and, you know, we know how political parties operate, there are always these different factions. It doesn't matter if it's a party of the right or a party of the left. There are always going to be individuals who think that they have a large set of ideas that make a lot of sense or just single-minded issues that are important. So, for example, you could have social conservatives in the Republican Party who say that, well, Donald Trump is pro-life, therefore we should get rid of Roe versus Wade. What do we need this for? You'll have that element. You'll also have fiscally conservative Republicans who have been re-elected who will say that, yeah, we definitely owe Donald Trump to our re-election or for certainly for improving Republican fortunes, but we want to ensure that we have lower taxes, a smaller government, and more efficient social services. That's where basically all the balancing off is going to be. And all these different interests are things that a president-elect Trump will have to deal with once he gets into office. It's something the Republican Party is going to have to deal with in the future to see where their future direction is going to be, but it's something that Donald Trump will have to deal with right now because there are a lot of people sort of holding up their hands saying, I want to be heard, and he's got to listen to them. He doesn't have to follow them. He can ignore most of them, but he has to listen to them. Michael Tobe has been with us, former speechwriter for Stephen Harper. Michael, thank you for the time and insight as always. Much appreciated. My pleasure, Scott. Have a good day. You're listening to The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on AM 900 CHML. What is the future? Let's bring in David Kahn, journalist and researcher, author of When Millennials Rule. Where were the millennials in this election? David is with us now. Hello, David. How are you today? I am doing uh, doing okay. Thank you very much for taking the time to join us. Uh, how do you explain the Donald Trump victory? I think that I've been thinking a lot about it today. I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that I've been invited to join five safe spaces on my college campus today. I think that reflects why a lot of America decided to go against, you know, your establishment candidate and vote for Trump. Uh, so you think this was a protest vote? I do think it was a protest vote. I also think there was a lot of arrogance and uh, overconfidence among especially liberal millennial voters who therefore didn't turn out in the numbers that could have guaranteed a victory for Clinton. What role did millennials play in this election? I think they uh, played a critical vote as kingmakers, right, as a, a one-third of the electorate, enough voters who could swing the election either for Clinton or for Trump. I think in this case they voted with their feet by, in many cases, not voting at all. Um, and that cost Clinton dearly in not winning the same percentage of the millennials that President Obama won in 2012 and 2008. So why don't you think she appealed to the millennials? Why do you think they stayed home? Just overconfidence? I think one piece of it is overconfidence. I think a second piece of it is, uh, you know, we have this uh, a, a large anger towards establishment political candidates across the country. But we see that it particularly clearly among millennials who uh, have sort of seen this uh, government, this dysfunctioning government for the past, you know, 10 years as they've been coming of age, you know, seeing 2000 decided by the Supreme Court, but before, seeing 2004, uh, Swift votes, Veterans for Truth, taking out Kerry, sort of this, uh, this, this dysfunction in Washington has sort of been more clear than ever to the millennials, and I think that you're seeing that by the lack of voter turnout in this election. Do you think that's good or bad? I think it's bad. <laughs> mm-hmm. I, mean, I definitely think that uh, you, you'd like to see... Uh, a lot more millennials coming out to vote. I think that could have swung the outcome of this election. 
Uh, but at the end of the day, do you think politicians are taking note? Do you think they realize that so many voters were disenfranchised with the elite, with the system? I, I, I definitely think that this is a shock to the system. Um, I think that this is a shock to the system for anyone who didn't take Trump seriously, who was, you know, saying that there was 88% to 12% odds favoring Clinton last night. Um, I think that anyone who has those notions has sort of gotten a slap in the face with the results of this election. What does it say when someone who it seemed every day would insult some segment of the population? I mean, there's no shortage of of things that would have that would have sidelined any campaign uh, in any country along the way. No one ever predicted he would actually get this far. But what does it say when, despite all of that, voters are so disenfranchised that they're going to bring this guy in just to throw the stick a stick in the spokes of the wheel? I mean, doesn't that is that resonating with anybody today? That it doesn't matter how bad he is, we just wanted anybody but the establishment. I mean, I think that's part of it. I think a second piece of it is that, you know, take a, I think that there is a difference in perception of the candidates from sort of your typical uh, urban liberal versus a rural suburban conservative that for us, we see these attacks on minority groups, and that is the single most important issue to us. But you go to a, you know, all the counties that did vote for Donald Trump, and I don't think that it was a, an entirely a, know, uh, a protest vote. I think part of it was that that was not the single most important issue for these voters. So who voted for Trump? Who wanted him in? I mean, I think because it, of, it, oh. it, does, it does seem to be a, a, a quite a, a wide segment of the population, yeah. especially taking some of the traditional uh, Democratic strongholds. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, I mean, what, what was it? The 42 percent of women um, you had African-Americans, you had 37%, I think, of millennials voting for Trump. You had a broad segment of the population. Um, you obviously had a working-class movement for Trump, um, anti-free trade movement uh, of working-class American voters. But I also think you had a much broader segment of the, of the, the country that was really not captured by pollsters. Uh, do you think President Trump will be softer than candidate Trump? I think that, I, you know, I'm hopeful that he will grow into the role. I'm optimistic. Uh, how is America feeling today? I think that the America that I'm a part of, liberal college students, are in shock. Um, I, I use the word panic, uh, are panicked. Um, but I think that more than 50% of this country feels validated, um, and that their political beliefs and their positions towards this country have been sort of bashed for the past few months as part of this election season. Election, election season, um, you had betting markets going, again, 80-plus to 20 against Trump, and all of these voters who've been complaining about the establishment, complaining about Clinton, uh, I think feel very validated. Uh, do you think this, does this resemble the Brexit vote at all for you? It, it, does, and it does in a lot of ways. Uh, I think, in, number one, just the level of miscalculation by pollsters Number two, the level of discontent with the current system. Um, and number three, the shock vote, the shock result. Um, I definitely think that there is a resemblance there, um, a, a discontent with the world system. And I think that this is going to have implications not just for the future of our country in the next four years, but also the future of sort of the democratic experiment, sort of our, our way of government. How will this change politics moving forward? What are politicians going to learn from this? I think that that's a, that's a really good question. I think that 
number one, it's going to change the way our parties work. Donald Trump was never a typical Republican, um, never a typical conservative candidate. He was an individual running on his own merits. Um, and I think that that's going to change the way our party system works. I think that a second impact is thinking about um, what voters are sort of deciding this election, who, this, who, who is represented by this country. I think there's often a divide between this intellectual elite that runs the country and by the rest of the, the, rest of the country. And I think that with that, with that so apparent, um, I think that in the next few months, especially years, uh, probably we're going to see um, politicians catering to the entirety of the country and, and trying to, um, you know, maybe pick up where, do- and this is either fortunate or unfortunate, depending on your political beliefs, I think a lot of politicians are also going to pick up on what Trump used to win in order to boost their own future election odds. So uh, do you think we'll see more arrogant style politics like a Trump, or do you think we'll spend, you'll see more people, do you think the pendulum will swing back the other way and we'll see more people, uh, more politicians who are actually concerned about what people are thinking and the gridlock and everything that they're disenfranchised about? I think we'll have to see, but if you, if you ask me, I think I, I say, uh, number one, I think we will see more Donald Trump style politicians. I think that, again, you have this safe spaces uh, rhetoric, this PC culture propagated by some minority of the country, and what this election shows to politicians who are looking to get reelected is that that is a minority of the country, and that if they're hoping to win, um, they should be speaking a different language in a, in a different way. We've only got about 30 seconds left, but millennials seem to support Bernie Sanders. Why didn't they support Hillary? I think they were not willing to go for the lesser of two evils. That was the problem that millennial turnout is, young people turnout period is usually lower than the general population and that they needed a reason to get out to vote. I think the big question here is, if Bernie Sanders had been the Democratic candidate, would he have won the general election? To me, the answer is yes. I think that millennial voters were not willing to turn out for Hillary Clinton, and that was the problem. David Kahn has been with us, author of When Millennials Rule, journalist and researcher. David, thanks for the time and insight. Much appreciated. Of course. Thank you. You're listening to The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on AM 900 CHML. Certainly a uh, a historic day in uh, North America and around the world. Alyssa Freeman is with us. Alyssa PR Communications, columnist, HuffingtonPostCanada.com, PR Daily is with us now. Alyssa, how are you today? Oh, my goodness. Well, I'm in another different, I'm in a different state. (laughs) (laughs) Physically or state of... Consciousness cause, Oh, there you go. State of mind there. Uh, obviously, you're surprised. No one uh, saw this coming. Uh, do you think politicians underestimate how disenfranchised voters are right now? Well, I think there's a couple things that we need to talk about. I think that th- I want to pick up on something that we've all, we've been talking about for the past few times I've been on with you, and that was the predictions of the pollsters and the modelers of the number of the numbers. So there was that. Um, and then I also think that we need to remember that Hillary did win the popular vote. So while she lost yeah, the election like, college... Why does that matter, Alyssa? Well, it matters because what it shows is a very deeply divided country. Yeah. And whoever was going to become president-elect was going to have to deal with that divisiveness. But what it does show is that the middle class and uh, those in and around that socioeconomic group that have been ignored and disenfranchised by a number of presidents over the past 20 years mm-hmm. have risen up and spoken. And all this time when we've been talking about narratives and what resonates and how awful some of the things that Trump did and said, 
They didn't care. No, it wasn't about that. It was throwing a stick into the spokes and 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 sending a clear message to Washington that we're not happy with this gridlock. We're not happy with uh, not being included in the discussion. We're disenfranchised. And 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 the fact that he was as arrogant and all of those things, good. Well, that'll show you too. And boom, in they threw the stick into the spokes. I mean, this is to me a total protest vote, and we talked about this many many times. And and I think all politicians are. Are underestimating the power of the silent majority who feels disenfranchised. Well, I have to agree with you. And I think that one of the discussions that Canadians need to have right now is looking inwards. And there is a race now for the leadership of the Conservative Party. And there are certain candidates that have definitely put a stake in the ground, i.e. Kelly Leach, who have said, well, the Obama victory means that we are now speaking for the silent majority, and that's who I represent. I don't know if that's the case. Again, I wouldn't be so focused on Donald Trump's policies and the narrative, as you put it. I'd be more focused on the people that wanted to say anybody but them, anybody but the elite, anybody but the typical politician. I don't think I don't, if anybody looks at this and go and, and says Donald Trump won it this way, that way, the other, I think it's going to be incredibly misguided. I think this is less about Donald Trump and more about an electric and an electorate that had simply had enough and wanted to send him a message that this is all got to be wiped clean. We want a complete new slate. I understand that, Scott, but you have to live with the fact of who's going to run the country and who is going to apparently uh, assuage your dissatisfaction. The U.K. is dealing with that now post-Brexit. Well, you know, it's almost like we looked at the U.K. and went, well, what happened to you? And now it's, you know, I read some tweet that said, you know, the U.K. and the U.S. is in the bar. and Oh, yeah, we just voted for Brexit, and the U.S.A. says, "Mm, hold my beer. Yeah. So, (laughs) you know... People, and, and, and who knows what the number one question that's being, uh, you know, put into Google today, but I know what the number one question after Brexit was. It was, what is the European Union? Yeah, yeah. So I think that, you know, Americans voted to make America great again, but that's a very insular view, given the fact that how powerful the United States is. And maybe they did, and maybe they didn't recognize on the global impact it would have, but that is not what Trump's campaign was about. Trump's campaign was about make America great again. You've been ignored all this time, and now I'm going to take care of you. And when you looked at the Electoral College, I was watching CNN and John Cain with his magic map, and, you know, the man who knows everything. He's he's beautiful with that, but why does Wolf... Can I tell you something, Scott? John Cain probably knows where you live. John Cain probably knows where you live. <laughs> exactly. But, he can look right at us now. But, but you could see, and, and the, the Republicans did run a masterful campaign. They knew where the disenfranchised were, mm-hmm. and they were in the rural areas. So when you looked at a state and you saw all red, and then, you know, the, the Democrats were depending on the urban areas in order to help them carry the states. And that did not happen in the numbers that they thought it would happen. So who voted for Trump? Well, a, a lot of people voted for Trump. Um, you know, white women, white men, uh, college-educated people, people who just did not want Hillary in the White House. So that's who voted. You know, you look at every state, and there were some states that were runaway winners, but there were, most of the states were not. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you have to look at the fact that, yeah, you may have carried a state, but the people in the states, in that particular state, were not all for you. And that represents a, a, you know, a big uphill climb for how the Republicans are going to have to decide to rule this country. And the other important thing that we have to know is, is that they have control now of all levels. Yeah, yep, yep. So having control of all levels essentially means that, you know, what type of resistance is going to happen in order to make sure that their policies that they want to put in are fair and deserve the right type of critique and criticism and argument. And this is where I think that the the Democrats actually see an opening. And Hillary said it in her speech. It says, you know, listen, you know, you may have, there are certain things that we still believe in and that we'll always believe in, and now you just have to fight for them. Hmm. And there's a number of things that, as a woman, that if you are an immigrant, you know, my daughter woke up this morning, and she says, well, who won? And I told her, and she's like, what? <laughs> and I was just marching around her bedroom going, well, if you're a woman, if you're an immigrant, if you're a Jew, if you're this, if you're that, yeah. if, you know, if you don't belong to the white Christian fold, well, it's, gay, it's, fair, it's fair game for you. So what will be interesting is to see how Trump actually implements these policies. Is he really going to build a wall? Is he really going to go and bomb ISIS the first, you know, the first chance he gets? I mean, this man has already been given top-level security briefings. The guy who we had to take his Twitter account away from him now has, his, has the guy walking around with him from the military with a suitcase with the, military, with the codes. The new so, codes. so who do we blame for this? You know, I, I think that it, there. You know, can you blame people? So I'll tell you what. I'll tell I you. Can, I, what I can. I've been reading who you can blame. I can blame all of the t- the status quo. I mean, again, yeah. they let this happen. Well, they, they let this it. happen. They, they did ignore, and they didn't think. For example, Hillary didn't even step one foot into Wisconsin. Mm, yeah, okay, they yeah. figured that that was a firewall, and they didn't need to spend any time there. Well, guess what? It wasn't. She lost Pennsylvania, another state that they felt that was a firewall. She felt that the, made the urban centers would carry her, and they didn't. Then there's the talk about third-party candidates. Would the Democrats have taken Florida if it wasn't for Gary Johnson getting 175,000, 200,000 votes? I don't know. You now, know. Now, listen, I have my own personal view about people who write in third-party candidates. But... You know, there's 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 a lot of that, and then you know there's a lot of sort of deep division. People are going to be sitting down at the Democratic National Party and thinking and saying, okay, where did we go wrong? Where did we go wrong? Basically, they have to reorganize and regenerate the and 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 get rid of or work to get rid of the dissatisfaction. And I, that's the choosing key right the right there. candidate to represent them. You know, I couldn't help but think. That you know, Joe Biden, you know, maybe they said to him, "Okay, it's not your turn. You're too old." Blah blah. blah. It's Hillary's turn. She's going to represent the Democratic, you know, the, the party. So I couldn't help but think that you know, if you had a guy that wasn't as divisive and spoke more to the middle class, you know, they called him Scranton Joe from Scranton, Pennsylvania. Then you know, would this would this have been a different race? I don't think it would have mattered, Alyssa. I really you know don't. What? I, no. I, and I you know would why? Tend to and you know, agree with you on that. And you know why? Because I don't think this was about his policy. I don't think it's about any of this. I think it's again. I keep going back to it. It's them saying, "I want to go in there and blow it apart and start again." Yeah, but they also want somebody that they can identify with, too, Scott. And I have to say that people less identified with the Clintons because they felt that they had been. But that doesn't mean long. they necessarily identified with Trump. And see, that's where we're. 
differ where we differ here. I totally agree that they did not identify with Hillary at all, and I don't think they necessarily identified with Trump that much. Uh, and and I don't think America's is racist and is as bad as everybody thinks they are. I think they're just saying, you know what? I'm willing to put put up with this buffoon just to get the status quo out. And and I I firmly believe that. I firmly believe it. I I firmly believe this is more about change than it is about either leader. You know, it definitely is about change, and it definitely is about rhetoric and narrative. And I think that every country is now looking inwards, not just Canada, but France and also Germany. And they're looking inwards and thinking, you know, is, is this a rhetoric that is definitely sweeping, um, you know, other other nations. They should look inward. They and, should look you know, inward. the conservatives are going to be looking at this. The liberals have to take a good look at this. Yeah. Uh, we all have to take a good look at this because some of this rhetoric, uh, most, of, most of this rhetoric, you know, I don't believe in. You know, now, I... I, I, don't, think most today, Amer- I don't think most Americans believe in it either, Alyssa. And well, I'm giving... I'm, 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 I'm giving with it, Scott. I'm giving credit. I'm giving more credit to Americans at this point that they didn't vote for Donald Trump because he was a racist bigot and, and, and misogynistic and all of that stuff. That's not why they voted him in. They don't like that about him. They voted him in because he represents anything but the above. Which is true until you see pictures that I saw on my feed today of members of the Ku Klux Klan in broad daylight walking across a bridge in (laughs) South Carolina. Hey, that element is there. No two ways about it. And that element has been given a voice now. And people chose to ignore it. You know, when David Duke is jumping up and down and saying, you know, this is the moment I've been waiting for, and and we, the Ku Klux Klan, support yeah. Donald Trump. Yeah. And then you have a candidate who doesn't want to disenfranchise anybody. I think what nobody's really respecting here is that Donald Trump knows how to win an election. And I think that's exactly what he did. He knew how to did. play to people yeah. who have been watching reality TV. Yeah, yeah. And he didn't discount any of it, and he was unfiltered as a result of it. But let's not forget that he totally changed his tune in the last two weeks. Mm-hmm. Okay, he totally changed his tune. He became more, quote-unquote, presidential. He became more teleprompter Trump. You know, he was shocked at the fact that going, gee, when the media reports on me now, all they say is what I said in my speeches. (laughs) Well, of course, they took away your Twitter account from you. So is he going to need a 24-7 babysitter? Is his, are the people who were on his team during the campaign going to have the bandwidth to last four years with him? You know, people can put up a good, you know, charade. Yeah. And then there's the whole thing with the quote-unquote alleged alliance with Putin. Yeah, that's so pretty what, funny. What does that mean? So you know what I, you know what I think the big benefit will be out of all of this is the next government, whoever is in power next. That's you know, to me, this is no different than when the uh, when Ontarians voted in the NDP and booted out Peterson way back when. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what you get as a result of it is people all of a sudden shape up or ship out, and you get a better version next time. I think that's what you're going to see. I'm optimistic that you'll see a better version next time as a well, result. Well, I also of think I'm optimistic about people who were complacent about their rights and those things that they took for granted. Mm. I'm optimistic that people will now look around and say, this is in danger of, 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 of leaving. This is in danger of not being the country that I thought it represented. So if that's the case, then I need to stand up and be counted and make sure that those rights that I believe in are held. 
So uh, in, in many ways, it has started a conversation among the complacent, uh, complacent people. Um, it started a conversation of, you know, the ignored can no longer be ignored. And how do you create a country where a president-elect who lost the popular vote cannily won through the Electoral College now has to govern where the majority of people did not vote for him? But then again, you know, George Bush the yeah. second, he did that. When exactly. He won. Yeah. You know, I don't think there's anything new there, Alyssa. I no, really don't. I, I don't think there's anything new. But, there, but, but the narratives of racial divide, misogyny, um, sexual allegations, none of that played in that election, Scott. Mm. So based on that, we are talking about a completely different narrative. We're not talking about hanging chads here. All right, Alyssa Freeman has been with us, Principal Alyssa PR Communications. Alyssa, always fun. We'll chat again as this all plays. Talk about Scott. Oh, I'm sure there'll be lots. (laughs) Okay, you're right. (laughs) Thanks, Alyssa. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show weekdays from noon to three on AM 900 CHML. John Iveson's column in the National Post: Inexplicable Trump. Inexplicable. Inexplicable Trump victory caught Trudeau liberals off guard, but Canadians must accept it. And John Iveson is with us now. Hello, John. How are you today? How's it go? Thank you for taking the time to join us. Do politicians, whether it's this side of the uh, of the border or that side, do politicians underestimate how disenfranchised some voters are? Uh, well, I think Hillary Clinton clearly did. Um, it's funny you ask that because I'm just looking at a quote from. Uh, Justin Trudeau this morning, where um, where he was talking about uh, people wanting a fair shot at success, uh, people wanting to succeed, and so um, he said they want to build places where the middle class and those working hard to join it have a chance. I think that they've been conscious for quite a while. You know, they keep using that phrase, the middle class and those working hard to join it. They're conscious that there is a prospect in Canada of a of a, a Trump-like movement growing up. Uh, from people who f- do feel disenfranchised. So they've very consciously talked about people who are maybe not quite making us being a success right now. But uh, So I think, yes, the short answer is there is a, a, a broadly underestimated the, the, the prospect for, for this thing to, to actually push somebody into power in the U.S. But I think politicians are now aware of it, having seen what happened in Europe, what happened? Uh, Brexit is a perfect example. Absolutely. I mean, um, you know, both of these things did not show up in the polls, uh, the U.S. election and Brexit. So, I think if they, if they were not conscious of it before, they are now. Uh, lots are di- dissecting this now and trying to figure out exactly what happened. But I don't think this is about Trump. I don't think it's about his policies. I don't think it's about what he says or or his whatever the narrative has been for the last several weeks. I think it's people, voters, sending a solid message that says, we want anybody but the establishment. We want change. We want anything but the obvious. Yeah, well, if you look at the numbers, um, you know, the Republican vote stayed pretty solid from the last election. In fact, he got slightly less than Romney. But the Democrat vote uh, tumbled by six, seven million votes. So, so you know, they were clearly not infused by, by Clinton or by that, uh, that sense of, of elitism, of whatever you want to call it, but more of the same. I mean, there obviously was a sense that uh, it's time for change. Um, and people looked at Donald Trump and they looked past his obvious flaws and decided that he could be the agent of change. Mm. How does this change things for Canada, or does it? 
for sure it does. Yeah, I mean, uh, bigly as uh, as Mr. Trump might put it. Um, uh, the the most obvious example is climate change. Yeah, you know, we've brought in uh, plans for a carbon tax right across the country, and now as Brad Wallace, Saskatchewan Premier, pointed out this morning, you know, if we put a, a, an additional cost on top of for Canadian businesses, it's clear there's clearly going to be no equivalent ca- carbon tax in the U.S. now. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're going to put our uh, our businesses at a cost disadvantage. So there's one way. Um, I'm talking to people in global affairs, the, the foreign affairs, who are saying, well, we've got to now encourage business, the the provinces to to make sure that that is tax neutral for the for uh, for Canadian businesses. Mm. So if, if they pay a carbon tax, you've got to take give them a, a clawback somewhere else. But these are policies that are only just being thought about because nobody thought that Trump was going to going to win. Uh, the, the one other one I was going to just going to quickly mention yep. is NAFTA. Mm. I mean, the, the 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 best guess inside the Department of Foreign Affairs is that Donald Trump does in fact have the power to unilaterally rip up NAFTA, and if he does, um, you know, all better off for Canadian growth. Uh, obviously, Republicans win the presidency, the Senate, the House. Uh, does that mean he has a little bit more clear, clear sailing than what Barack Obama had? Absolutely, absolutely. But um, will I the Republicans challenge him, though, I, on well, things I as do, you're I, mentioning? I think if he if he tried to rip up NAFTA, yes, the the Republican Senate and House would would oppose that. I mean, thirty, I think it's thirty five states are, are Canada's their number one trading partner. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you, you mess with that at, at your peril because all those companies who are currently paying 0% tariffs would suddenly get hit with tariffs going into, presumably from Mexico, but also from Canada, and would sue. So uh, I think there would be a lot of noise from that. But, but clearly, um, you know, they're, they're more alike than, than Obama and a Republican-dominated Senate and House. What should all politicians of all stripes take from this victory? That there's no room for complacency. I mean... Uh, uh, you know, people people get so um, uh, they, they they're they're feeling that their their own sense of the world is the right one, and anybody else who disagrees with them is the wrong one, and there's the, the lack of empathy and contact. I mean, I think that what it will do is that uh, you can't afford as a politician to disregard large swathes of the electorate, and you've got to try and reach out to them in so, some way or other. Uh, do you think? Well, how how do you think Americans are feeling today? I would think there'll be some buyer's remorse from uh, from a whole bunch of Republicans and uh, who, who probably never thought that that uh, it could happen. I mean, I, I know having talked to people in the UK after Brexit went through, there was a whole bunch of people who, who voted to voted for Brexit and never thought it would happen. Hmm. And subsequent, if it uh, if there was another referendum, I don't think they would go through. So I suspect. If the, if the election was held again tomorrow, that uh, Trump might not win it. Uh, forget the United States. How will the Republican Party deal with this? I mean, incredibly divided. Uh, how do people walk without having two faces? Well, success is an incredible deodorant. <laughs> is, will it be that simple? I think so. I mean, if you heard Ryan on the television this morning, uh, uh, there, there seemed to be a lot of uh, reconciling going on. I mean, he you know he credited... Trump for having uh, landed uh, in uh, Wisconsin, I think it was, they, uh, they did particularly well. So, you know, I mean, it, it, uh, it, it will probably sort itself out in a whole bunch of ways as long as he doesn't follow through on, on insane ideas like ripping up NAFTA. 
John Iveson has been with us, columnist with the National Post. Uh, today, Trump victory caught Trudeau liberals off guard, but Canadians must accept it. Thanks very much for the time and insight, John. Much appreciated. Okay. The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on AM 900 CHML.